You are listening to Sonic Symbolism. Sonic Symbolism. This is episode 7. Biophilia. What is it, this sonic symbolism? Like, why did you invent this uh, term? <laughs> yeah, it sounds kind of complicated. I was trying to explain how all the visuals I do, both photos and videos and the album covers, are actually describing sound. If it's like warm colors or rough textures or liquid textures or what position my body is in, am I like open, closed, distant, intimate, am I smiling, am I confrontational? This is like a language I think a lot of musicians, they sort of learn how to use on their artwork. So I would say sonic symbolism is basically a visual shortcut to describe sound. The words that describe biophilia are Equilibrium, synchronizing opposites. As if the healthy years past time. Is being in life threatening Electric blue, copper. Pedagogic, pedagogic, cosmic, atom. Element table, no human scale. Crystalline internal nebula. Crystalline rocks growing slow. Crystalline icon claustrophobia. Crystalline and demon the light. Galaxies. NASA, not narrative. Pacifist, nature technology. Soft tissue. Solutions, Kofi Annan. Mutual call. 
Just before the bank crash in Iceland, Björk asked me to join her in trying to raise awareness of renewable energies to work in more harmony with nature. We were fighting against the monopoly of those polluting industrial companies. Daily, for months, we gathered people from all around the island to share opinions and experiences. And then, after the economic crisis hit, the importance of fertile ideas became even stronger than before. Then came Biophilia, a project that was much more than just an album. It was a whole new method of teaching children from several perspectives how music is created by doing it by themselves. They would learn the basics in musicology through structures in nature. Okay, okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do you say biophilia or biophilia? Bio. Bio. Biophilia. Bio. Yeah, bio is like... Uh... I think both is correct. Okay. But I prefer biophilia maybe because it's closer to Icelandic yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Biophilia, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, in Volta you were into human sciences. And now we are a little bit back into mathematics and sciences a little bit. We have this woman coming through the fog with this enormous red hair or red wick on her head. This woman is like seems to be like a schoolmaster of a new school for children in the world a little bit. She's very ambitious and she's going to teach, invent a new teaching method and everything. Who, who is this woman? Yeah, I think after Volta I done a, like a world tour at festivals, you know, kind of with my tribe. And it was a lot of communication and extroversy, and which felt amazing. But I think with biophilia, I was ready to withdraw and switch gears. I had kind of met enough humans that I felt I was ready to get introvert again, to learn new things. Also... Part of the boat idea with Volta was to find a new land and not just, you know, live somewhere out at sea, but to eventually land somewhere and that would become the place you want to live in or lead the life you want to live. After a lot of back and forth, I ended up in Puerto Rico, which is very easy to commute to New York back and forth. And I rented a house there on the beach and started experimenting. As fast as your fingernail grows, the Atlantic Bridge drifts to counteract distance. You know.
I think one of the things that really influenced me during biophilia and something I was really thinking about a lot was the element table. I really liked to connect nature with musicology and connect with it raw materials. So it's not human scale. It's not tables and chairs and violins and humans and these interactions. I kind of overdosed on that a little bit <laughs> after touring and went in the total opposite, which was places where there are no people, <laughs> which is either inside the atoms or in galaxies, which sounds very confusing, but actually, if you think about it on a musical level, it's actually similar, <laughs> at least with our imagination. Like a breakthrough had happened in electronic music, and we had used it live on Volta, which was touchscreens, basically. Now you could play electronic music not just like on a laptop, but you had spent weeks programming and just press play, but you could prepare it in a similar way how you play music, you know, on acoustic instruments, and be more tactile and use your body and change your mind, and you never play the same song twice. And while we were touring and doing concerts and concerts and improvising and always going further and further with each song and adding things, and we were like, wow, this, this was really like an explosion for musicians, you know. So I really wanted to not just play live like this, but also write like this, and also write algorithms and programs from scratch that would not be like stuck to the uh, Christianity chords of rock and roll, uh, the triangle of C and, and F and G, but that was more organic, that was more shaped like nature. So this was a big breakthrough. And when I started using the touchscreens, I understood that Finally, here was an instrument where I could express myself how I feel about musicology. Mm. I studied musicology as a kid for 10 years, from 5 to 15. I loved it very much, but I also was very frustrated because I felt they were teaching something in a two-dimensional way mm -hmm. in a book. I was never happy with the book we've learned from or how we learned it and everything was just not right. And I felt it was a lot more 3D, a lot more simple and tactile. So I was really, really excited about this and that finally I could map out music and musicology, mm. how I wanted to map it out on a three-dimensional touchscreen, but not just in a two-dimensional book. So I started with Max programming which is a specific way to make your own software. 
and I found 10 subject matters from nature to do write one software for how crystals grow, one how pendulums swing, one how lightnings move, one how viruses multiply, and then I wrote a lyric on each subject matter and a melody on each subject matter. So I'd never really worked like that before. We, we set up a little place in Puerto Rico where the three of us, James Mary and Damien Taylor, we had like a bucket and a string where we were like writing pendulum bass lines. Everything was very DIY. We ordered a MIDI organ or an organ that you can plug digital information on eBay, very cheap. And slowly we built up algorithms for 10 songs. The sound world for biophilia, I came out of a world of Volta, which I was trying to choose an instrument like brass, which was very aggressive and yeah. almost vulgar. And for me, emotionally, biophilia was more about the humility. Even though the, the universe and the galaxies are enormous, it also has a, a feeling of it's very humble. So I was trying to find sounds like organ, which for me is very elemental, like from the element table. It is very grand, but very humble. If you get organ right, for me it's some of the most grandest and elemental sounds that the human race has found. This was what I was looking for. We actually went around Iceland and we recorded different songs in different uh, rooms. For example, Hollow, we recorded in Laugarneskirkja because it has the biggest organ compared to the room, okay. the proportion. So it's almost like uh, exploding out of the room. in the sense that I wanted to break out of the sort of European Christian scales, but also out of the 4-4. Both the scale and the rhythm, yeah. Yeah, so we did this software touchscreen where it was all odd numbers. So I had four screens where you had five, seven, nine and eleven. And then I would touch it and go between the sections of each song. You can hear it very clearly in a song, for example, like Crystalline, where it's like a 13 and then back to 5.
One of the bespoke instruments Björk had made for the album was the Gamelest, which is a combination of the Gamelian and Acelesta. You can hear this instrument playing now on the song Crystalline. What's your take on virus? You were maybe describing it earlier that it was kind of being inside the virus world or virus was for me like interactive music, like artificial intelligence music, which I had heard a lot, you know, going to different galleries and museums where uh, there's statistics that affects the music and it kind of multiplies by its own accord by something that happens. And I always had a complicated relationship with this kind of music. And I decided that if you were going to do something like this, you should make it into the theme and, and make the passive aggressive elements of interactive music included into the story of the song. So I try to have two worlds fighting. It's bacteria and virus. The bacteria is the hang drum. And the virus is the gamelast. And they are sort of multiplying and they take over the song. Writing the music for Biophilia, Björk was also inspired to create a new type of curriculum for teaching musicology to children. Björk collaborated with app developers creating pedagogic concepts. Ten different music theories were programmed into ten songs. An algorithm of a pendulum taught counterpoint. Tectonic plates taught chord structure the tide of the moon taught music sequences, and so on. We went to 10 cities and we were in each city for a month. During the month, we would do 10 concerts and we would try to choose underprivileged schools in each country and we would teach them. Basically, we took notes from all the 10 different countries and we collected everything together. And then we did a few months of work with the Icelandic University. So basically now there is, comes with it normal curriculum. It is in a way the basic things in musicology, but kind of done for people who don't want to read. <laughs> who want to feel it, not read it. The perfect match, you 
biophilia is kind of designed to be tactile. Now we think of apps for kids to learn math. It's easy, but then there were no apps, yeah. so it was... But I remember actually when there yeah. were no apps and there were no iPads and you had already, like, it was like you were waiting for those apps to come somehow. Yes, it was a blessing. We, of course, we, we had no idea it would be like that, but we finished all this and we had just finished all the algorithms. And then the iPad came out basically the same month as the album. So it was a very extremely lucky. It's like you were describing some like way of thinking that belonged to this new technology. And sometimes today I'm, I'm wondering like, because we get accustomed to that, now we just have the iPads and so on. It's like we don't even feel the novelty or like the possibilities that are mm -hmm. in it somehow, like what's new, really new in it. I almost have the sense that already we have imposed the old way of thinking onto this new technology somehow, then you don't, you're not using the possibilities. I, I think what iPad is basically is a 3D book. So it is for people who are like teaching physics or maths or music or sculpture, or for example, designing on a computer screen, maybe for an architect. And to always have to work on these architectural drawings in 2D is like stupid, you know. But then certainly you have something where you can see it in 3D and you can turn it around and look around it. And music is like that. Music is 3D. Thunderbolt was about arpeggios and we were teaching kids how arpeggios work mm. and they are sort of irregular but they are regular so they actually behave a little bit like like lightnings so we taught the kids about arpeggios by having the bass line in the song being made by lightning and then the sound you could hear it it was triggered by arpeggios so when you played it, it was never twice the same. It's one of those things, it's very hard to explain it in words, but when the kids saw it and it had like sound effects and they were playing with it and it's very exciting. And then, especially when the iPad was plucked straight into a Tesla coil, so they could hear what they were doing it, it was meant to empower them. I felt like very quickly they could in one session, one hour, understand what arpeggio is about, you know? During the Biophilia concerts, Björk performed the song Solstice alongside 
for large pendulum instruments called gravity harps. Yeah, I did it as a collaboration, the pendulum, with a guy called Andy. I think Andy found an old train track, wooden blocks somewhere that we got for free, I think. And we split it into four, which actually was more musical. it is inside the app it's more how it was originally planned which was that it was one really long pendulum and it's basically teaching kids about counterpoint and how they work in space is very similar to counterpoint of Bach and his uh, fuchs material so it is actually an element in nature and it is about gravity and I think there's a reason why we think it's beautiful when we listen to it, because it, it is about gravity, kind of feeling of equilibrium where, where it all adds up, you know. It's not that it's trying to invent something that wasn't there before. It is basically showing us something that was there all along, you know. But this is the first time we have the tools to show it. And we all understand when we see a pendulum, okay, gravity is playing a song here. You know, it's like trying to describe the Niagara Falls yeah. in one month instead of just going there. Yeah, but I, I never it's... understood this counterpoint un until I saw it there. And But I have some kind of a dyslexia or something, so I thought it was like due to that that I didn't mm -hmm. understand it. But yeah, there you understand it like physically. So, so it's like, again, ma uh, relating the technology towards more stations in the brain than before. Yes, I think it, we got best results actually with kids and kids loved it most who were actually had dyslexia or ADHD because for them the world is 3D and to read something in 2D is offense to them. It's like a wrong, wrong note, you know.
but I've always felt like there are some connections between the two songs, Sacrifice and Solstice. I don't know if that is correct, but there is another huge instrument, the Shapsi chord, isn't it, that, is, that you are using in Sacrifice. What kind of an instrument is Shapsi chord? Yeah, this was the one instrument that wasn't bespoke. Like, I didn't get it made, but a friend of mine, Matthew Herbert, sent me a link of this guy who made it, Henry Duck. And I actually just, when he sent me what the Shapsikor could do, mm -hmm. I wrote a song to fit it. It was actually a huge music box in a way. Mm -hmm. But I think even though I had music boxes on Vespertine, which of course, were about micro-worlds and miniature things. I think the reason why the Shepsichord fitted the Biophilia sort of family was because it was so huge. Because I wanted everything to be elemental, that it was not human scale. understand it at first but I think the further I got into the project and even after it was out and we were traveling around the world teaching kids about it I understood better and better that you have two worlds if you want to make the binary the visual world and the sound world and most of the day we are in this visual world and we are very used to everything we see and, and most people are a lot more trained with the eye than the ear, which is natural, of course. But if, you, if you're trying to teach kids about sound, it's a very quick way to say, oh, it's inside an atom or it's planets going in circles. So you are basically going, saying, okay, I'm gonna leave the world of visual or the things you can see. You cannot use your eyes for this. You have to listen. trying to understand the patterns of sound, I very often compare it to a billiard table because sound kind of works like that. Like if you put your hand on one billiard board and you throw it on the other ones and then they all 
shoot away to all the corners of the table. That's very similar how sound works in a room. And if you are a musician, you are always thinking about this. If you are a singer or even if you are a concert cello player and you are rehearsing in your living room, this is what you are working with. How the sound is hitting the walls and coming mm -hmm. back at you. And it's physics. You know, sound mm -hmm. is physics. I remember that John Stefansson, the late choir conductor, told me it was quite challenging for the choir to get the arrangements working which leads me to the song Cosmogony, is the human voice the heavenly earthly instrument? I think so, definitely one of them. I think the reason why it was so hard to sing, and we actually rehearsed twice a week for like eight hours a week for six months. So mm -hmm. it was 32 hours a month because I wanted the girls to learn it by heart. So that took even longer. On Medulla, I had both male and female voices. I wanted all the bottom end to be with beats and to be with gravity and sub-bass and planets moving. I wanted only girls and I wanted them to be all kind of most of them higher than me. I wanted chords that were really hard to sing because what we call in Iceland pleasant, where you have instead of the normal triad that choirs sing, there would be like five notes all next to each other, like only one note apart. So when you are in a choir, it's quite hard to sing those notes. My romantic gene is dominant. And it I think I was trying to make some sort of choir arrangement that were almost like science fiction, like that were like cluster chords, Stanley Kubrick, you know, like this was kind of the, the sound world I wanted to try to be in. So the chords had to be kind of like not romantic, not vibrato, not uh, warm, kind of more um, like alien-like. Thank you. 
As she prepared to tour, Björk enlisted the help of English broadcaster and biologist Sir David Attenborough, who recorded an introduction to the Biophilia live shows. Yeah, I, I mean, that was a total dream come true. And yeah, I mean, it was incredible to have David there. And every evening when we would hear his voice, you would just go into the mood. I mean, he's like one of the best orators alive, you know? Mm -hmm. He could read anything and it's like something delicious, you know? Welcome to Biophilia, the love for nature in all her manifestations. From the tiniest organism to the greatest red giant floating in the farthest realm of the universe. Just as we use music to express parts of us that would otherwise be hidden, so too can we use technology to make visible much of nature's invisible world. In Biophilia, you will experience how the three come together, nature, music, technology. One thing that Biophilia was very, very inspired by was that this time after the bank crash in Iceland, when we were trying to stop aluminium factories being built all around the country, and we were running these conferences where we were discussing all these other ideas that could uh, happen in all the little villages, and that you didn't need any money, that you could do all this kind of exchange business. So I was really trying to include that into Pyphilia. And for example, I worked in every city with science museum or, or universities, and we never got money to teach the kids. There was always this kind of fair exchange of energies. I contacted the app builders to make the apps with me. And we all did this kind of exchange. We collaborated together. Nobody paid anyone anything. And then we shared equally the profit. So it was very done in, in this spirit, you know, that you didn't need money, you know. So it, it was like zero everywhere, you know. That was kind of done in the sort of ideology after the crash, you know. It was almost the death of the ego for me. Maybe because it has pedagogy and it was about teaching children. It was kind of erasing a little bit the narrator or me, but becoming a music teacher. I will return to it later and do my music school. It's just a question of because I would also like to teach it myself next time. Okay. And last time I couldn't because I was singing and I could just about do that. But I would like to um, be in person and teach it myself. If we go into biophilia, like on an emotional level, I felt uh, <laughs> I had uh, done enough uh, self-discovery of claiming my body back in Volta. So, for me, biophilia, it's peaceful. It's not 
confrontational or critical to the world. It's more finding equilibrium or balance. And even though the lyrics are about crystals and lightnings, they are all very, of course, personal and love songs, you know, as well. But I think it also is describing of where my emotional state was at the time. And I was very wanting peace and wanting things to, to work. I became a passive, somebody who was embracing everything, you know, kind of like a typical mother where you include everyone in the family and every little, tiny little aspect. And you try to protect and make this kind of little universe that works with equilibrium and peace. Sonic Symbolism is a co-production of MailChimp Presents, Talkhouse and Björk, and was made by Björk, Ögni Eir, Ásmundi Jónsson, Anna Geda, Ian Wheeler, Julie Douglas and Christian Koons. It was produced by Christian Koons and edited by Christian Koons and Anna Geda. Special thanks to Derek Birkid, Catherine Werner Bentley, Zach McNeese, Ivar Kartansson, Berger Thorison and Duna Steinin Thorkistotir. Music appears courtesy of one little independent records.